Welcome to the Bowen Christian Family Centre podcast channel. You're about to hear a message recorded at one of our Sunday gatherings. We pray you are blessed and enjoy this inspiring message. I'm going to read a couple of, uh, we're going to look at a couple of stories here. And uh, I'm going to ask if the, you can throw that up on the big screen. And uh, let's read that together. Actually, is it up there? Uh, Genesis, please. First Genesis 22. I'll read the story. Can we read, all see that? You can get out of the way. Let's read one, two, three, go. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Next verse, please. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Maria, Maria, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And in verse 3, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, took two, don't you laugh, don't, took two of his young men with him, keep it together, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place for which God had told him. And verse 4, and on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. In verse 5, and Abraham said unto his young man, abide ye here with the ass, and, I will, and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. In verse 6, and Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together in seven. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham, said his father, father said, my, and father said, and he said, here am I the son, and he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And in verse 8, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a, burnt, a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together, verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Verse 10. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of the heavens and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. Verse 12. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withhold thy son, thy only son, from me. In verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now if we go to John, I think the other verse is. John 21, is it? Don't make me read this. Oh, here it is. Don't make me read it because I'll the Bible I've got is a very small print. So they went. Um, so when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "This is a story of Peter's um, uh, Jesus' ascension." Jesus said to Peter, "Go and wait." Oh, he said to the disciples, "Actually, go and wait in Jerusalem, and uh, not many days hence you'll see power." And uh, so Peter said, as soon as Jesus ascended and out of sight, Peter said, hey, I'm going fishing, and they followed him fishing. So we take up the story from verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love you. He said unto him, feed my lambs, in verse 16. And he says to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, loveth him. He said unto him, Yea, Lord, and knowest I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17. 
And he said unto him the third time, this is three times, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. And in verse 18, very, very, I say unto thee, when thou was young, thy girded thyself. Now, I want you to understand this. Look at this verse in, in uh, the context of what was previously said. I say unto you, when thou was young, you girded yourself and walked whither thou wouldst. And when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jokingly said to Pastor John, I'm going to read out the King James Version, the only version that is really real. The NIV is a non-inspired version, but hey, nevertheless. No, I'm <laughs> I was having a go at him. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the battle. We are in a battle. And oddly enough, Pastor John this week graciously said to us, whatever's on your, on your heart, whatever the Spirit of God is saying to you today, that's what you ought to bring. So it amazes me that um, for the last... Four um, preachers have all brought spiritual warfare to light. And this one I'm going to preach on again tonight is that same theme of spiritual warfare. And um, I believe there is a corporate warfare and there's an individual warfare. Corporately, we do battle. Amen. The Bible says that, that uh, we um, have, um, where is it? Hallelujah. Praise God. I tried to narrow this down. I'll cut out a lot of uh, scriptures to m- make that possible. We, um, we do battle. The, spirit, uh, spirit, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There it is. The weapons of our warfare, corporately, our warfare, the body of Christ, is mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So Paul makes a, Paul makes a statement in Second in, uh, Timothy that makes it personal, it brings a personal battle. You see, we battle as a corporate, but there's also this individual battle that's going on in the lives of each and every one of us. And we need to identify what that battle is and how we might um, overcome in the midst of those uh, trials or those, um, those moments as, as Abraham when God tested him. And so Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. See, he was personally engaged. Peter, Paul says, I fought, I finished, I have kept the faith. See, we fight, as I said, not against pressure and bride. We fight as a body, but there's also this personal fight going in the lives, in on in the lives of each and on, every one of us. You see, I, we fight personally. And our rewards are personal. Matthew twenty five twenty one. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, rather than servants. Singular. Amen. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, Paul states, I battle to obey what was entrusted into my care. I battle to obey what was entrusted into my care. And you know, God has given a scripture for a reason that we might use it to glorify him in every exercise of life. We have the scriptures. We have God's word in our hearts and is written upon there in our hearts that for a purpose that we might not only change, but be the change we want to see take place. Amen? That we might only not only change, 
but to see the change we want to see take place. So the scriptures are written in our hearts and they're there for a reason. So Paul states, I have obeyed what is entrusted into my care. Paul's responsibility, remember on the road to Damascus where Paul encounters Jesus Christ, God says to him, or Jesus says to him, I am going to use you, Paul, to take the gospel to the Gentile. That's what God said to him. That was the faith that uh, Paul kept right until the very end where he says, I have fight the good fight. I have uh, I've, uh, overcome obstacles on my way. Now there is laid up for me a crown in glory. Hallelujah. I have fight the good fight. He fought to take the, uh, the, the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. We as Gentiles sit here as testimony to the success of Paul. Amen? We sit here as testimony to the success of Paul who says, I fight to keep the faith. And we are a result of his fight. Amen? The Gentiles now have the gospel because of Paul. No wonder he said, now there is laid up for me uh, riches and glory. Amen? Hallelujah. We are here because of that fight the battle that he was to take place in. See, it's a personal battle. It's a personal battle that involves each and every one of us to be engaged. But you have to engage in this battle to be successful in it. Abraham got up early. So when we read the first scriptures there, I hope you're taking notice because I'm going to be asking questions. No. Uh, in that first instance, in Abraham's case, Abraham had a son. And he had one son that was his only son. And God says to him, in tempting him, he says to him, I want you to take your only son, I want you to take him to a place I will show you, and then I want you to kill him there for me. Talk about personal battles. Talk about personal battles. Everything in Abraham would have screamed, no! But see, Abraham was obedient. And that's the battle. The battle is to be towards obedience to the faith. So Abraham got up early. And here's my dilemma. See, I'm very noticeable. Jane's been married to me now for 45 years. Poor thing. Um, But she has come to realize that I have um, traits, I have things. <laughs> no uh, talking from the back seat there, thanks. I have uh, certain traits in my life. Basically, she will say to me, in, just in general conversations, uh, how about let's go to this place and visit this or do something that I don't want to do. Normally, it's when she asks me, I don't want to do what she says because she always does weird things. But... If somebody says to me, hey, let's go and play golf, I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning ready to go. Yeah? And she will say that. She'll make that statement. She says, yeah, why is it you always get up for the guys when the guys call you, but you don't want to get up early to go with me? There's a very easy, simple reason for that. But I want to keep our marriage together, so I won't tell you. (laughs) Why don't you get up early? You see, my dilemma is Abraham got up early to kill his only son. He didn't wait. He doesn't hesitate. First thing in the morning, he grabbed his son, grabbed the wood, grabbed the knife, put it on a donkey, and took him to the mountain to kill him. First thing in the morning. 
Hallelujah. There was no, God, let me spend some time with this boy. Let me spend some time. Let me get to know him. Let me play football with him. It was first thing in the morning, the very next morning. And the Bible says, even early in the morning. Now, I don't believe they had TV back in them days, although the Flintstones had a TV set, so I don't know if that was, if that was real or not. But early in the morning would have been sunrise. The old people, when they didn't have TVs and, and iPhones and stuff to muck around with, went to bed early, and it was for a reason. There was nothing to keep them up. And so as soon as the sun went down, we went to bed. And um, then we get up early. That's a sunrise. When the sun starts to break through, they would get up early. So I believe Abraham got up early every day. But this day, he got up earlier. Amen? Even before he normally got up, he got up early. And this was to kill his only son. This was to kill Get this picture in your head. He was about to kill this boy, his only son. I struggled with that a bit, that getting up early part. At least he could have waited a couple of hours extra just to have his son with him just that little bit longer. But no, Abraham was obedient. You know that the Bible says that Abraham is the father of all those that believe. Believe. Let me, how I'm going to put this. Believing Abraham is what is our, probably our goal or our measuring stick. To believe to the point that you would execute your son for the sake of the gospel. I think that's going too far. But Abraham did it. Hallelujah. See, I believe that to be effective in the fight, you need to be ready to detach yourself from emotional ties. You know, Abraham had a history of leaving his family, all for the sake of the gospel. In Hebrews 11.10, it says that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. This wasn't a natural city. This was a heavenly city. You see, somebody told Abraham that there's a city coming. Somebody told Abraham that there's a city that's going to be built, but it's not going to be built by the hands of man. This city is going to be built by the hands of God. He is going to be its foundation, and he is going to be its builder. Ain't we believing for a new heaven and a new earth? Amen? And so Abraham left looking for the city, not necessarily looking for it as much as looking toward it. So whatever he did in life... He had that vision in front of him always of that city of God coming down, that new Jerusalem settling here on the earth. He saw that way back then. And because he saw it, he left home, he left family, he left everything that he held dear and was prepared to go to a place that didn't matter where he went, but he was prepared to go to a place because his home wasn't this world. And see, I think that's a lot of the times we struggle with that. This home is not our world. The day you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were destined for a new home. You're going to another place, a better place. And that's what keeps us coming back every Sunday, amen? 
If there was no hope of heaven, then all hope is lost. If Jesus didn't rise, then we have nothing to do here. We may as well go just go home and watch TV. But we believe, see, that Jesus rose because we see it in the life of each other. Amen? We see Jesus in the life of each other. He looked for a city. So Abraham was a man of vision. Abraham was a man of vision. And the reason I believe, my opinion, is that Abraham got up early because he was still looking for the city. He still saw the city. He kept the vision of the city alive. Now, mind you, Abraham did say to his young guys that went with him, stay here, me and the boy are going ahead, and we will come back to you. So I read one other reason that he got up early was that was the day of miracles. He was going to see a miracle because Abraham, Isaac, was a promise. In Isaac was the promise that the sands of his sons would be as the sands of the sea. It was going to be through Isaac. So Abraham knew that if God was going to take him, he was also going to raise him up again and he was going to bring him back. It was a day of miracles. Abraham got up early. You see, if we, we need to get this drive and I say, man, so when we come in on a Sunday morning, we're not coming in at 10 o'clock. We're here at 8.30 because we want to see and be a part of the miracle that's going to take place in this place. Amen? We've got to keep coming back with expectation. We just can't roll up and say, yeah, I'm here. Let's start. No, let's roll up with a sense of expectation at where God is. We're going to meet with God. We're going to see what God can do in this place. Amen? Hallelujah. God is a miracle work in God. Amen. Peter was a man of vision. Jesus walked past, said, follow me. The first thing he did was left his nets and go. Immediately he left all, everything that, was, that, that spoke to him of, of this world's possessions. Like basically he left his home. He left his business. He left his business partners. He left his friends. He left everything that he held dear to walk and follow Jesus. All Jesus said to him, follow me and I'll make you a fisher. What is a fisher of men? I mean, he knew how to fish for fish. But what is it to fish for men? He didn't know. I'm sure. But he heard, all he heard was, follow me and I'll make you something great. And he followed because he was a man of vision. Jesus cast vision, Peter caught it and ran with it. You know, we have so much talent in this place, so much. I mean, we've had visiting preachers come to, come to this place. And, and, and I think one of them said in particular, there are many churches here. There are many leaders here. The possibility is endless. Pastor John saw fires going out of this place way back then. He, he shared a vision with us one day. He said, I see fire going out of this place. And, and it was like sparks. And it was catching fires all over the place. The potential in this place is absolutely awesome. But we've got to believe that we have that gift. And we have to believe that God has equipped us. He has made it possible for us to move mountains. We have to begin to believe not only in God, but also in ourselves. Amen. We have to begin to believe that the Holy Spirit in you is going to do something amazing through you if you allow that to take place. Hallelujah. He got up early to take his son. You see, Jesus left his home in glory. He lay aside his deity and stepped into humanity. Why? Because he saw, his God, he saw God's plan for you and I. Jesus saw us sitting here today. 
and said, I want to make that way possible. So when God said, who will go? Jesus puts up his hand and said, here am I, send me. I'll go. And we're sitting here today because of it. Amen? He said, I'll go because he saw you here. He saw the vision that God had, the dream that God had, that all men would once again come into the presence of God. He saw that. What do you see? What do I see? What do we see as a corporate body of believers? What do I see as an individual? Do I see the potential or do I just see the trouble going on around about me? Remember I said sometime before, don't talk about your mountains. Talk to your mountains. Amen? Speak to them. Hallelujah. You know, Joel 2.28 said, you're young men, you're old men. All be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not gender-specific. I believe it's young and old. And your young shall see vision. Your young will see vision. Abraham, I believe, was driven by vision. He was a man of vision. Peter left everything that he had because he was a man of vision. He caught the vision. I pray our young men, our young women, will catch the vision also. Amen? And keep the vision, as Paul did to the very end. So you can also say, I have run this race. Number two, matters of the kingdom must take priority of matters of the heart. Abraham was told to sacrifice that. Isaac got up earlier said that. It's okay to have vision. You have to keep the vision fresh in your head, in your mind. Hallelujah. I've already said that. See, this is how committed we, we, I have to be to, to this kingdom thinking idea. This is how committed we are, we are to be. Matthew 13, 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field that which a man hath found. He hideth and the joy thereof goes, selleth all that he has and buyeth that field. So a man knows, he sees a, he sees a treasure, he hides it back in the treasure again, he sells everything that he has, goes back, buys the field because he knows there's something of value in the field. See, this idea, this uh, illustration is not about the field. It's not about the field. It's not about the treasure in the field. It's about the knowledge that you have that there's something in there of great value. It's like that in the kingdom of God. You've got to know there's something in God's kingdom of great value that's more worth to you than what you have in the moment. That's got to drive you. We've got to believe that there's a better life to come. We've got to believe that there's a life of no pain, no suffering, no tears, no more sickness, no more disease. We're going to believe that. We have to believe for that. Otherwise, we won't buy into this. Amen? It's not about the field. It's not about the treasure. It's about what you know. It's a personal battle. Praise God. The Bible says in Matthew also in 6.21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, it's not where your heart is, that's what you consider to be of great value. It doesn't say that. It says where your treasure is, what you value, that's what your heart's going to be employed with. Amen? Mentally, Bible says set your mind on things above and, and then your heart will follow. It will follow your mind. So if you think this of great value, your heart will catch up with your vision. The heart will catch up with the dream that you have that there is a better place than this. Amen? We've got to see that. We've got to see this first before we can obtain it. If, if all we think about is heaven is this, we're in for a rude awakening. This is just a, an overflow of what heaven's like. This is just an overflow 
of heaven itself. And so where your treasure is, what you treasure, what you value, is where your heart will be. Um, See, Abraham was all in. Abraham was totally 100% sold on the idea of a city made by God, whose foundation was God, whose builder was God. He was totally sold out, even to the point of taking his son and prepared to kill him for that. Hallelujah. I, I had a term. We used to be in the CMF and we was to um, go and do um, exercises out in the bush there. And uh, one time we were told to um, be the enemy for the regulars. So I went out to Mount Stewart there. And I, and I, they, I heard a word that they said up there, or I, um, uh, what they called the CMF, uh, Citizens Military Force. So it was a weekend job. They called us weekend warriors. Like we would go do battle on the weekend and then through the week we would go battle business. And, and they were also called cut lunch cowboys. So we would go out there and have a feed and then go home. But you know, sometimes mentally we can have that same attitude that it's all about the weekends. That it's all about the weekends. I can't wait to church because I'm going to meet my friends there. I'm going to have this amazing time. And that's true. But there's something greater for you. There's something greater for us. It's to see people saved. As Pastor John said this morning, he's a man of vision because he wants to see people saved. And he can see it. He can see it. We just have to catch up with the dream. We just have to catch him up because he's already seen it. He's a man of vision. The battle to move by faith, not by feelings. Just a, something that I put together here to confuse you. No, sorry. The heart of man is, very, is his very person. What makes him a person is his conscious awareness of self, coupled with every other function that makes him human. So see, we are a person. The heart of a man is the person. What makes him a person is his conscious awareness of self and coupled with every other function, which is emotion and what have you. Whenever God speaks to us, we are driven to make a choice to open our hearts to him or to close it. We have the choice to open our hearts. If, what if you were asked to open your heart to Jesus and you open it up, knowing that at some point in the future, you may have to kill your son. Would you still open the door and let him in? I'll open the door. I'm going to open the door if that's fun. I mean, I'm all about fun, having a great time. But what if he asks us something of, of, of something to sacrifice something of great value? Would you still open the door to Jesus? Amen? He stands. Emma said last week, he stands at the door and knock. But know that if you open the door, you may be put to the test of some sort. I just thought it was interesting to say, if you knew that you were going through that trial, would you still open that door and let him in? Almost finished. In number four, the truth will set you free. See, love is a choice. Emotions can sway our choices. Freedom, to me, 
is able to say yes to choose life over death. If I was to give you a picture of freedom, in your minds, you know, you would have a, a picture there. You would have a, um, a description of some sort. But, you know, to me, freedom is Abraham poised over his son with a knife in his hand. Freedom, to me, is Abraham poised over his bound son on the altar with a knife in his hand. See, he was free from all emotional ties. He was free from any other thing that was involved in his life. He was free from all those things to be able to take his son, bind him hand and foot and put him on the altar. To me, freedom looks like Jesus on the cross. Amen? To me, freedom, let's make this personal. Freedom is Bo standing on a chair, turning around in a circle in amongst the crowded room. Freedom to me is my sister here at an airport willing to pay somebody else's luggage fee. Freedom to me is Emma going through McDonald's, paying for the person in front of her. You see what I'm saying here? Freedom releases you to make a choice that doesn't, is not conflicted with every other choice. This lady was standing in the, going on the plane and this battle was going on in her mind. She had a wedding to pay for and God says to her, go and pay this fee. Can you imagine the battle going on in her mind? My God, I need this money to pay for my wedding. But she was obedient to God and moved in obedience. You see what I'm saying here to tonight, saints? Freedom is not free from sin. Freedom is choice. Is you making a choice to stand on a chair in a crowded room, turning around. That's freedom. You'd be surprised, and I'm, I put my hand up because I'm one of these guys. How many times I've sat in that chair and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to do this, say this, or go there. And I've argued with the Holy Spirit. How many of us would stand on a chair if told to do so in a crowded room? Not, not at home, not at home, not amongst your friends, but how many of us would stand on a chair in a crowded room and turn around in a circle? How challenging is that? But there's good news. We will not be tempted beyond which that you are able to bear. You will not be tempted beyond that which you are able to bear. But with the temptation, we'll make a way of escape. And that brings me to the story of John. I didn't check the time, am I? I'm glad you preached about freedom this morning. The freedom to go, take away the rules. See, Jesus said to Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Then it goes on to verse 18, and I want to bring that to, to light. He said, verily, verily, saying to thee, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, when I was young, you girded yourself and walked with you, wherever you went, wanted to go. But when you became old, you shall stretch forth your hand, and others shall gird thee and carry thee whether thou wouldst go. And in verse 9, he said, this spoke here, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. I believe what he was saying there as the musicians come to the platform. I believe what he was saying there is, when you were young, you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, the needs of the many will far outweigh your own need 
and you'll find yourself in places where you don't want to be. You'll find yourself doing things you don't want to do. I believe God was, uh, Jesus was saying to Peter, if you love me, this is what your life is now going to look like. It's going to be led, not by your desire to want to have fellowship one with another, not by your desire to want to go fishing, not by your desire to want to see and do these things. If you love me, your life will be committed to those in need and you'll find yourself being carried around about by those needs. Not self-needs, but the needs of others. That will become more important to you. If you love me, your life will look like this. You see, when we, this Christian life, I've been doing it for some time now, and been here for a while, maybe too long. But um, Evie said to me the other day, uh, we were sitting around the table, and, and, uh, me and me and the missus, she was there and she just out of the blue said, what about the elephant? And of course, I said, what elephant? She said, the elephant in the room. And um, I, think, I think I know what she meant. But there's an elephant in the story. There's an elephant in the story. You see, there was a lamb caught in a thicket. Abraham, and I don't know how long the lamb was caught there. It just said there was a lamb behind him caught in a thicket. Doesn't say how long it was there. Doesn't say it was there when Abraham got there. It doesn't matter. You know why? Because Abraham was so intent on doing what God told him to do, the lamb was insignificant. You know, saints, sometimes we go through life looking, when God closes the door, we look for another way out. You know that we, I have this expression, I've heard this expression time and time again, oh, if God shuts one door, he'll open another. So we spend all of our life going from door to door to door to door. Our lives are in our trials are not meant for us to just go through. We go through trial to grow, not to just go. Don't look for a door. Look for the lesson in the reason why the door is shut. Amen? <laughs> Let's not just look for a way out here. See, Abraham, that lamb could have been there from the start. If Abraham was looking for a way out, he could have said, hey, there's a lamb, God's speaking, we need to kill the lamb. No, Abraham stuck to, the, to being obedient to God. The lamb was insignificant. He only found it after he was going to go through the motion of killing his son. Don't look for a way out of this. You won't grow looking for ways out. You grow as you go through it. Amen? Let's finish here. You see, let's stand together. Do we do this without feelings? No. No. We don't do this without feelings. We don't do this without some sort of compassion and some, in some way. We don't do this without any feelings. We do this because we love our families and friends. We do this because we love them so much we're willing to sacrifice our lives on their behalf. We don't do this because we're just mindless robots going through motion. We do this because we love, amen? We love them so much we're willing to lay down our lives for him. You see, Noah built an ark. His obedience, sorry, Noah, sorry, I think you're correcting me. Noah built an ark. 
His obedience was driven for his love of the family. The Bible says eight souls were saved by the building of his ark. He took 120 years to build a boat that he didn't know about for a reason that he didn't see. And yet he built just on the, on the specs that God gave him because he believed the one who told him was true. He built this thing for 120 years. He lost time with his family. He lost time playing ball with his kids. He lost time spending time with his wife. He lost all that time because he was so focused on building this thing for the love of his family. Can you imagine his wife sitting in the family saying, Hey, thank you, Noah, that you listened to God. And you're prepared to build something that's going to lead to my safety. Can you imagine these kids saying, Dad, you didn't spend enough time with me. Instead, they were saying, God, we thank you for that, that you're a godly man and you're prepared to sacrifice your life for our sakes. You see, he didn't build for his own salvation. He built that his family might be saved. We build relationship with Jesus Christ, not for ourselves. We build because we love our families. We love our friends. We build this with feeling because we love them more than our very life itself. What we do here on a Sunday, it's just not an exercise in futility. What we do here on a Sunday is showing your loved ones that you care for them. It's showing your family that you love them. What you do here on a Sunday is seen all around about. The Bible says that Abraham built, and why he built, he preached to the community. Didn't say a word, but because he built, because he was so focused. Can you imagine if he missed a couple of days? Oh, Abraham's not, uh, Noah's not interested in this, so I won't be interested either. My Bible also tells me where Noah is concerned that his family built right alongside of him because of his commitment, because of his devotion. They were so caught up in that that they, they didn't see the vision. They didn't know the dimensions of the boat. They didn't know it was going to rain and flood the earth. They didn't know that. No one knew it. But he was so convicted that he built and his family were building right alongside of him because of his conviction. See, we walk by feelings because it's best for us. But the way of faith is best for those we have feelings for. The way of faith is best for those we have feelings for. Let's not serve ourselves. Let's serve this community, amen? Let's serve one another by being totally committed, devoted to this. This is what is important. This is what's necessary. Hallelujah. How do we put aside our feelings? Paul said it simply, I die daily. I die daily. We're going to sing a full at your feet. We're going to do this song now. We're going to sing this. And as we do, I hope you get a different perspective of why you're here and the things that you do and the reason that you do them for. Get a perspective on the vision that this church has for the community. Get a different perspective on life in general, about the importance of the things that go on in this place. Get perspective about what you say to the community by your dedication to this. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in to Bowen Christian Family Centre's podcast channel. 
For any more information on our church, the preaching, or Jesus and Christianity, feel free to check out our church website, www.withsundayacc.com.au.